I don't know if you guys have ever played this game. Have you guys ever played the game Space Invaders? The old school like Atari one? Um, if you haven't, you kind of probably seen this before and you get the concept. You have these aliens that are trying to kill you by shooting missiles and you have those little things that you can hide behind but eventually those things get degraded over time. Uh, you have this little ship and your job is to shoot those aliens. They're kind of slowly moving back and forth, slowly coming at you. And, but they're shooting at you too. So it's kind of like they're going both at it. Yeah, and you have these little safe places to hide, but the more that they get shot up, the less helpful those places to hide really are. Now, if you've played for any length of time, you might clear the board. You might kill all the aliens. And what's your reward? More aliens. And they're moving faster this time. And they still want to kill you. Like, it's kind of, well, okay, so then you kill those. And then what do you get after that? More aliens. And they're going faster this time. And they want to kill you. And now, like, these things, are the little places to hide are getting smaller, and they're getting smaller. The reward of killing aliens that want to kill you is faster aliens that still want to kill you. And the game really has two options. You can uh, get stuck in this loop and always be aiming for more by yourself, or the aliens destroy you. That's it, really. You can either keep going at it, grit harder, grip the joystick harder, add more coins if you're using like one of those old school kind of consoles. Now, Space Invaders as a game is fun, well, especially when it first came out. It's probably really fun. And you can feel like you win. Even when you die, you can feel like you win. But Space Invaders as a life is not fun. That's not fun at all. That's a horrible way to live. You can never really win no matter how hard you try because in the end, you just end up getting destroyed. Now, I think Space Invaders is the perfect kind of, maybe slightly nerdy, okay, uh, perfect illustration for what anxiety is like in our culture today. And probably, if we're honest, what anxiety is like in our hearts. You shoot down one thing only to find another thing right behind it. You dodge the bullets, you survive, and right when you think you've cleared the board, there's another level. Like, oh, really? Like, I thought we were past this. Or it's kind of like each level, when you level up in adulting, you're like, oh, wow, I gotta do that? Man, wasn't life easier when it was five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever the thing is? And each level is more difficult. And the problem is that we, we're naturally drawn to anxiety. We're naturally, we don't have to search out anxiety. We don't have to be like, man, I should get more anxious in my life. I wonder what I could do. Like, we just kind of drift towards there. It's kind of where our hearts naturally go. It's our default mode. We need something to switch us to a new track, to get us out of that loop, because it is kind of like an ongoing loop. We need someone to get us out of this game of Space Invaders and into the wor real world of something that's far much more enjoyable and something that's just generally better. Now, during Jesus' time, people were worried. They were anxious, like us. They wanted to lead good lives, like all of us want to live lives that we feel like are worth something, have a weight to them. We want to live lives that are really good. We want something that's better even just for us, but betters other people. And the same people living then wanted that too. They wanted others as well to see them as good. It wasn't just doing a good thing by myself is enough. I want other people to know that I'm doing a good thing. And when someone asked Jesus in John 6, 28, they said, uh, what, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? This is basically, it's a religious way to ask, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to have meaning? That's really what they want to know. And they're asking Jesus this. So religious Jews in Israel 2,000 years ago had the same exact question that we in secular modern day England have. What does it mean to be good? What, is, what does the good life really look like? And Jesus says, well, the answer is this, to believe in the one that he has sent, he being the Father. Believe in the one that has sent, uh, that, uh, in the one that he has sent, in Jesus who's been sent. 
So this is what we're going to look at. What does that mean, believe in the one that he has sent? Because it's deceptively simple. Like, oh, you just believe it? Okay, cool. But that doesn't seem to change anything. If it doesn't change anything, I think that's proof that we don't really get it. That's why we're going to kind of get into it a little bit. We must believe in the one that God has sent. If you want to be freed from a space invader life, you can't just keep on doing the same things and expect change to happen. That's just not how it works. We have to believe in the one that God has sent. But let's look uh, at the kind of more broader context of what Jesus is talking about. Because this is when I was reading through this some months ago, I was like, oh, this would be a perfect kind of beginning the year um, kind of message because of the context. So the context is uh, in, in uh, John 6 is the disciples are in a storm. And the disciples, they're in a boat in a storm, and they're really, really scared. Now, if I was in a boat in any kind of storm, I'd probably just be really, really scared because I don't know anything about sailing or storms or whatever. But these guys were fishermen. They were on the boat all the time, and they're really, really scared. And then they're looking around for Jesus. They're like, where's Jesus? He's, like, he's left us. He's not even here. He's not helping us at all. What's the deal? And then they get this crazy image of Jesus walking out on the water towards them. And that's when the way that John writes, it said they were frightened, like scared senseless. That's actually how um, Eugene Peterson in the message translation translates it as that when the disciples saw Jesus, they were scared out of their senses. Like they couldn't believe it. So if a storm is really scary, seeing who they thought was just merely a man walking on water towards them in the middle of a storm, telling them, peace, be still, that really freaked them out. And actually what Jesus says, um, it, because they are completely scared, he tells them to not be afraid. And the, actually, the words that he says is, I am, do not be afraid. He says, I am. The same way that God in the Old Testament has revealed himself as his personal name. This is who I am. My name is I am. That's who Jesus brings to the disciples. And so they're seeing a very particular image of Jesus in a storm. They would have not seen Jesus in that same way when they're just hanging out very, in a safe and comfortable environment. But they see Jesus come in a very particular and very um, kind of mind-blowing way in the middle of their storm. And they're delivered to safety on the other side. So now they've gone through a storm. Now they're in, and they saw Jesus in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. And now they're on the shore and that's when they asked Jesus, what does it mean to, to be good? What does the good life look like? And to me, I felt like this context really fits well. I think hopefully we'll see some level of the pandemic ending-ish in 2021. At least, surely, at least we have 1% of hopes in our hearts of like, surely 2021 is going to be better in 2020. And maybe we're not completely delivered yet. We're not completely safely on that shore yet. But we probably feel like we're getting there. And I think that, like, that's a good thing. It's good to be safe. But what are we going to do in that safety? When we ask Jesus, what is a good life? What does meaning look like? How do we want to live once we're back on that shore? And this is what Jesus says to us. Believe in the one who he has sent. So we're going to spend probably most of the day, not the day, sorry, most of the message. You're like, oh man, what did I sign up for? I got something to go. Um, <laughs> most of the message, really mostly on that word believe. And I think a better translation for us will be Relax to relax. We'll talk about what this means. I'm translating this word as relax, and we'll, I'll show you why. First, that word believe, which is um, in, uh, Matt, in John 6, 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That word belief, it's a present active verb. It's an ongoing thing. It's not something that's been done once. It's not thing, something that you do once. It's something you have to be in a constant state of, a constant state of believing. And I think the word believe in probably our context, especially in churches, is probably you know, often misunderstood. It's a bit like to quote Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, I do not think it means what you think it means. Nerdy, I know. I'm, it, it's going to be nerdy here, I'm sorry. Um, actually, I'm not sorry at all. 
unapologetically nerdy. Uh, so it, it's something uh, to, rela- to believe, to relax. It's something to consider, something to be worthy of trust and to actually trust it. Something has to be worthy of your trust before you trust it. You know, so before we trust, we must find the thing itself trustworthy. Otherwise, we won't ever really trust it. And this is knowledge that comes from learning over time. This is knowledge that comes from experience. Uh, to consider something to be true requires the work of seeing. Of, oh, sorry, of seeking. You have to kind of seek it out. It doesn't just kind of happen. And worthy of trust means you can put your weight on it. Like your whole weight is a confidence where you put your whole weight of your body on that thing. It's kind of like I believe that gravity exists. Like I believe that. In fact, I've believed it for so long I don't really have to think about it. If I throw a ball up, it's going to come down. And I'm not like, huh, wonder about, will the same thing happen with this ball over here? Yes, you throw it up, it's going to come down. Well, what about an orange? Yes, an orange, you throw it up, it's going to come down. Now, let's, let's mix it up. What about like a car? What if that was to go up in the air? Would that come down? Yes, of course it would. Like, I don't have to think about it. I believe it. And if there was a bet on, if I throw this car up, will it come down? And, you know, you could bet on it. Of course I'm going to bet, yes, this car has got to come down. I put the full weight of my confidence and belief that gravity exists. And the same thing, I'm not just going to sit on the air, I'm going to have to sit on a chair. And hopefully the chair will hold me up. Now the reason why uh, some theologians have adopted this word, relax for belief, is because when you relax into something, you put your whole confidence into it. You put your whole weight upon it. It's something that you just kind of give into. It's, uh, it, to relax in Jesus is to put your confidence in him. If you say you believe in Jesus, but you aren't relaxed in him, or you can't relax in him, well, you may not really believe as much as you say. And that's okay, because we're all kind of stumbling towards faith. We're all kind of stumbling towards belief. So the question is, what might be that next little step of being able to relax and enjoy Jesus a little bit more this year? It's a little bit like a hammock. And here's a great kind of summary picture for a cold, wintry kind of day, even with the windows open because of everything. Um, I'm like slightly cold, but hopefully doing okay but I'm moving, you guys are, I don't know, you might be cold. So just think of, of yourself there beside, maybe that's the Lake District or something, I don't know, maybe it's Colorado, I don't know. Um, the first time you get into a hammock, I don't know if you've ever tried to get into one, it can be a little bit tricky. You can kind of like move around, you're like, am I going to fall out of this thing? Is it going to spin around like some kind of cartoon character? Maybe it won't hold me. Maybe you're like, oh, are the edges, are they, will that actually hold me? It just looks like they're just kind of hanging there on that tree. And if you're checking out all the rope, thinking about all that, if you're thinking about all those things, that's proof you're not really relaxing. If you're kind of in that awkward stage, you can't really relax when you're kind of awkwardly fighting with a hammock. And when you're there, lying down, listening to the breeze, worries, thoughts, and fears, they can be so far away, and you can just kind of relax into it. And that's enjoyable. That's something that's worth getting up in the morning for, that kind of life. But it could be that we look like that on the outside, but inside, when we have those times of stillness, the thoughts are coming a mile a minute. Our hearts and heads are kind of being assaulted by, oh, this thing and this thing, and what about this? And then, oh, maybe I'll just look on my phone a little bit for this, this. So we, might, we could look like we're relaxing on the outside, but really on the inside, we're not. It's a wholehearted, like a full body relaxation. If you are able to be still, if you are able to enjoy being still, even kind of nod off for a nap, that's proof you can relax in Jesus. Can you take a nap in the middle of the day? That's really difficult for me because I'm always thinking of stuff to do. But if you can nap in the, in the belief that Jesus actually is holding you, even whatever kind of fears and anxieties might be going on, that's a different way to live. Because that's somewhere else. That's a different kind of way to live. That's the opposite of Space Invaders' life. Because you don't have to worry about shooting those aliens. Now, we relax 
by allowing ourselves to be held by him. That's how we do it. We can relax because he is holding us. When Jesus says, you, we won't be hurt, he will care for us. We're in the palm of his hand. The Father knows us, even down to the hairs on your head. And we read these things, we're like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Do we just hear that or will we actually believe it? Will we put our weight into that? Will we believe it? Will we relax into it? Will we relax into the reality of Jesus having everything under control? Because relaxing should be enjoyable. Your life with Jesus should not be a, a burden or a weight. It should be something that you love and enjoy. And that only comes from spending time in that kind of surrender. Now, this does require knowledge because you have to be like, all right, is this thing actually going to hold me up or not? It does require knowledge, but it's so much more than just mere knowledge. We can't not have knowledge, but we can't be confident or we can't be comfortable with just having knowledge itself either. Our default definition of belief is to know something is true. Like, I can know eating a pizza is not great for my health but I'm going to eat a pizza anyway. That's not going to stop me. Like, yeah, I know it's bad as I shove another piece into my face. Knowledge is important and necessary, but if we stop at knowledge, we won't get to belief. We won't get to belief if we just stop at knowledge. Our lives will remain unchanged, and we're not going to really enjoy life as much as we ought to. But when we have considered something to be true, and we put our full weight on it, like in that hammock, we learn to relax into him, and that makes the Christian life actually enjoyable. That's actually also what gives us the energy to pastor other people, to pour in our lives into other people, other people in our missional communities. That's what allows us to live a life of mission, is if we're relaxing, and that gives us the energy and the enjoyment to be able to extend that into all other areas of our lives. So we say we believe Jesus, help our unbelief, because we know we need to believe more. Lord, we want to relax in you. Please help us enjoy more of you. Wouldn't that be amazing if we were a church that just really enjoyed being with Jesus? Now, it sounds really good, but like, why don't we do this? Like, why not take a hammock nap every day or something like that? Like, why don't we relax? Well, relaxing as Jesus is the work God requires. Like, literally, Jesus has told us, this is what is required of you. Relax in me. And we're like, yeah, but like, what else? That's good, Jesus, but like, what else can we do? I know I'm getting images of like a sunny island of naps in the afternoon of some kind of warmth of a non-pandemic kind of life where we can just kind of hang out. Why uh, would we say our lives are really kind of characterized by this trust, this radical trust? If not, like who are we going to blame? Are we blaming circumstances? Just like gravity, the circumstances can change. It could be a ball or an orange or a car, like whatever it is. If it goes up, it will come down. Circumstances can change, but does does God's love for us change? No, of course not. Does he pursue us less when we're in trouble? No, of course not. So we can, that means we can have circumstances that change and we can at the same time also have that same level of enjoyment, even possibly more when times are difficult. Now, I think the reason that we don't relax is we don't want to rely on him. Like we don't really want to believe in him. So really, what, we don't relax because we don't want to relax in him because relaxing in him would require a giving up of control. That would be really scary. Or maybe we don't trust that God's good enough. We'd rather have our own versions of freedom. Like, I kind of really want to do what I want to do. I know God says, like, some things that, you know, maybe I'll just kind of put those off to the side. I'll do these other things. I'll focus on them. Or we're afraid of giving up that our grip on the world will kind of leave us empty. We don't really believe that Jesus can hold us. And even if he can, we don't think it will be an enjoyable experience. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, everyone has that in their hearts. All of us do. Now, remember the context of these verses we were looking at, though. They just went through a storm. 
They saw Jesus in a very particular way that they wouldn't have seen otherwise because of the difficulty that they went through. And now they're on land and they're safe and they're asking this big question. It might feel like 2021 will be the beginning of surviving the storm of 2020. And I hope that that's true in many, many ways. When we find ourselves safely on the other side, though, how are we going to live? I think a lot of us have found surprising ways of like, actually, yeah, things have been bad and no one wants a pandemic, but I've kind of learned this about myself. I really enjoy this. Or I've found this about kind of the way of living that I kind of want to change or keep as I go into a different kind of life. See, the problem is not circumstances. We always point outward. The problem is us. We're the problem when it comes to this. We're too afraid to give up control. We're too afraid to be honest with our need of where we need Jesus to save us. And taking control, we give up the ability to enjoy Jesus. So you can have control, that's fine, but you also cannot enjoy Jesus. Those two things are against each other. In defining freedom for ourselves, we could have that. We could kind of define what freedom and good stuff is for ourselves regardless of what Jesus says, but that means we will give up deeper meaning in our lives. So you can define goodness on your own terms. That's fine. You can have that, but you also will not have deeper meaning in your life. Our actions are not without consequences. Our actions really, really do matter. I think if anyone had the excuse to be anxious, surely it was Jesus. I mean, he's here literally to save the world. Like, we all think we're here to save the world in our all kind of small way. Jesus was literally here to save the world. Like, Jesus, how's this going? Well, uh... I have these 10 guys I've been pouring my life into 24-7. Oh, that's good. They must really get it. No, they don't have a clue. Oh, what about like your followers and stuff? Oh, well, they're great. They like it when I hand out free food, but anytime I say anything that they disagree with, they leave and I'm kind of by myself. Oh, well, what do you have to look forward to? Torture, humiliation, death. Like, oh, cool. Okay, so shouldn't you be really anxious about this? How are you not anxious about this, Jesus? Every one of us would be completely freaking out. And yet Jesus is not anxious. He's always the the least anxious person in the room because he has a radical trust in the Father's plan. He has a radical trust that the Father is going to deliver him in in whatever situation Jesus is in. That's belief. That's what relax looks like. This means Jesus rejects worldly standards of greatness, of having it all together, of surrounding himself with comfort. Look, if we don't like the way Space Invaders kind of life makes us feel don't play the game. Let's not play it. But if you decide to not play that game, you can't be kind of halfway in and maybe go back and play a little bit and you try and not play it and then play it a little bit and try and not play it. You have to kind of, it has to be a wholehearted rejection because you can't just be halfway in. You can't expect a whole life if you're halfway into something. You could be kind of there in the hammock relaxing, but checking your phones and never really able to give your cares to Jesus. Being halfway in won't ever give us the wholeness we crave. Now, if we don't believe God's trustworthy, we're not going to trust him. Fair enough. Like, if you don't believe the Father has a good life planned for you or is actually in control of stuff or might care for you more than anyone else, of course you're not going to trust him. That's not a lot, uh, like that, that just makes complete sense. We won't be able to relax. And if we think that God's holding out on us, even though he never has and never will, of course we're not going to give him our whole lives. We'll give him the parts that are more convenient than others. But think about what God has done in your own life. Has God ever held back in your life? Has he ever kind of seen something really good and not given it to you because he you know, appreciates holding stuff back from people that he loves? I think about what Jesus has done in coming out of the complete comfort of the Trinity down into our broken world, living a bland kind of basically unknown life around people in a small town 
He's never, you know, he's not making an influence. He's not making a difference. He's not changing the world the way that we see that. But how did he live? He lived a life of enjoying the Father, of relaxing. He loved his life because he got to commune with the Father. I think a lot of times we think, man, God, if, if you say you love me, like, why don't you prove it? But he already has over and over and over again, let alone the circumstances of your life, what Jesus has done on the cross for you, not just dying, but also resurrecting for you. The problem is that we overlook it. So the question for us is, do we believe God is actually trustworthy? Your life will give the answer. How much of your life actually shows that you believe that God is trustworthy? What do you obsess about? (laughs) What do you think about when you go to sleep or the first thoughts when you wake up in the morning, where your daydreams naturally go, when a problem suddenly arises? Like, what do you do? Now, this applies to work. Like, how do you get through your work day? Are you trying to keep Jesus out of it by not going to him and not even if it's a super quick prayer? Because he's there. Jesus is there with you. Like, are you listening? Are you engaging him in it? This applies to our plans. What are the next six months going to look like in our lives? Nobody knows. How many tears are we going to have to live through before you know, we get to you know, the other side of this pandemic? Nobody knows. But Jesus knows, and he's there, and he's with us. Are we going to him? This, I think, applies also to the deep desires in our hearts for partners, for families, for children, for friendships. We will bring our anxiety and worry with us to every one of life's circumstances. If they're bad, the circumstances are bad, we're going to be anxious that they're bad. If our circumstances are good, we're going to be anxious that either they're not good enough or that goodness is going to go away. And without someone breaking into those loops of anxiety, we're kind of going to be stuck in that. We're doomed to play space invaders for the rest of the lives. And the better we get, that just means the quicker they'll come. Eventually, we're going to end up destroyed. But we can relax by allowing ourselves to be held by him. Okay, so I've talked about those two things. Let's just talk a little bit about what does this actually look like. We kind of talked about what it doesn't look like a fair bit. Let's move on from that. What does it look like? What does relaxing into Jesus look like? And remember, if you have more specific questions, um, definitely feel free to go to that site and we'll, we'll talk about them uh, briefly afterwards. Um, well, to relax into Jesus is not a simple command. It's not like a just relax. Like if you shout relax at someone enough, like they're going to do it. Like that's just creates anxiety into people, right? Um, but it's not a simple command, but it is a simple thing. It's a simple, there are simple actions and practices and rhythms that we can do in order to live a life of relaxation a little bit more. Because uh, I think all of us can stand to relax in Jesus a bit more. Um, so let's, let's figure out how we need to do this a little bit better. Spiritual disciplines, very simple spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading the word, doing those things in community, as much as we can do it in community. Sometimes it looks like you know, a lot of stuff on the screen right now. That's how we get off the Space Invader track and more into a life that's aligned with the way that Jesus tells us to live. It's really super basic things. It's not a simple command, but they are very simple things for us to do. So when we get glued to something, we're kind of like kind of stuck. We need something else to kind of jolt us out of that and bring us into reality. And this is what prayer is about. This is what listening to God's word is about. And that's why we need each other, because God has given us built-in inadequacy in ourselves so that we would do these things. We're not good enough by ourselves. That's why the church exists, because God is creating a people. He's not creating persons or a person. He's creating a people for himself. And we have to do these things together because we are inadequate to do them by ourselves. 
And we need to build into our lives rhythms of seeking God, kind of practices. We talked about the practice of prayer last week. What does it mean to persist in prayer, presume that God is working through us? And uh, that continues. So it's prayer, the Bible, community. There's some other ones in there. But really, if we were to have those as normal parts of our lives, that would be revolutionary, not just for us. That'd be revolutionary for Charlton. That'd be revolutionary for Manchester as a whole. Our spiritual disciplines are disruptions to the world that will inevitably pull us to anxiety. If we're in that world, if we're aligned with that, we will get pulled into anxiety. But the spiritual disciplines in our life put us back onto God's track. And this is how you will flourish in this new year, to the extent that we get this and get these rhythms in our lives. Now, you don't have to be like, you know, superhero, rock star Christian in order to get all these things done. Just like, what is the next small step? What's like 1% more of this in your life? What could it look like? This isn't about how you spend your money. Maybe we got some cool electronics over Christmas. Christina was awesome, got me a turntable. Yes, had to sell it when we left America back in the turntable games. Gonna be great. Now that feels life-changing. That's not really gonna change my life. It will make me happy for a little bit, especially when I listen to some good records. But that's not gonna change my life. What will change my life is where I spend my time. How do I spend that time? Who do I spend my time with? Specifically with Jesus, with other people. And how, what are we doing together? So as an example, here are some of the things I do daily. This is not about how great I am, as you'll see from this list. It's not fantastic and amazing. Um, but just an example of what it could look like to relax into Jesus. I have a time set aside each morning to read and pray. Very basic, very simple. I pray for my own heart. I pray for my family. I pray for our missional community. I pray for you all each day. My reading habit um, of reading the Bible is one year I'll read through the entire Bible. The next year I'll pick a few books and kind of go deeper into those things. Um, after, at the beginning of a work day, I have a few Bible verses I reflect on and pray, and not very long, maybe like a five-minute thing. See, until just now, I'm not like some kind of amazing rock star professional Christian here. Um, each day, I have a few minutes in the middle of my day where I stop, especially, it's like normally during lunch, and pray. And I call this actually my midday protest, because I have to protest against that, that worldly pull towards doing more things, towards not thinking about Jesus, not relaxing in Jesus. So it's a thing that goes off on my phone at 11.55 every day, and uh, it says midday protest. And I just click it, and there's Bible verses on there, already on there. I don't have to think, what should I read? I don't think, what should I pray for? It's just listed on there. So I just get to praying. I just get to reading. And at the end of the workday, I have a short prayer for God to carry the things that I didn't get to finish. Um, for God to change my heart, to make me be able to engage with the family, even with like work kind of stuff in the back of my head, because I want to be fully present with them. I don't want to be halfway in or halfway out. I want to be fully present. I can't do that myself. I need Jesus to do that with me. And that's really it. That's what my days look like as far as those kind of daily practices. It's not a big thing, but it keeps me connected to reality because it's so easy to get off some kind of false life of, you know, life is about what I do or what I make of it. It's like, no, that's not it at all. And I need to hear Jesus' words constantly in my life so I can relax into him. Now, maybe you think, yeah, of course, this is what you do because you're a pastor. You're like paid to do that, right? You're like a professional Christian, right? Well, first, no, I'm not a professional Christian. If I was, I'd be a very poor one. Um, And really, when it comes to faith, we're all amateurs. Only Jesus could be classified as a professional Christian. We're all amateurs when it comes to the faith. We're all equal with that. Secondly, Though there are advantages, I think, in my spiritual life to being a pastor, I think there are probably more disadvantages to being to a spiritual life for a pastor. I'm not going to get into all that right now. Um, but know this, if I can do this, you can do this. If I can find the time to be able to do that, I know you can find the time to be able to do that. And the reason why I do that is not because of my job, 
The reason I do that is because I need it for myself, regardless of whatever job I'd be in. So if I need to do it, I know you need to. And if Jesus did it, and he did, we should do it. If Jesus saw it important to spend the short amount of time on earth that he had, to spend time even away from people in prayer and fasting and meditating and being with, uh, being with the Father, meditating on the Word, if he spent the short amount of time he had on earth to live out these spiritual disciplines, and he's God, who are we to think that we could live without them? Like, it's no surprise when we don't do those things, we kind of feel like life is off track, or maybe we're not, you know, doing the things we ought to do. Or if we're on that long enough, we kind of, that part of us kind of slowly fades away, we become hardened to that, and we just think, oh, life is really what I make of it. When we buy into the deception that we can get by without him, of course, we're not going to follow through in any other ways in our lives. But if we're desperate for him to come through, when we understand there is no other way, when we get to be able to enjoy the relationship we have with Jesus, that really does change things. And that changes Jesus' response of relax into a life-giving necessity. That's not another thing to do in our lives. It's actually what we need in order to do anything in our lives. Now, prayer might feel like hard work sometimes, and it is. It's not, it's not a magical thing that all of a sudden you feel super great after every single time you pray. Sometimes, I mean, labor is a good description. It's difficult. Same thing with reading the Bible. You're like, why am I reading this now? I'm not getting anything out of it. And it's not even necessarily about what you read that day. It's about a lifetime of reading the Bible for over and over and over each day. Same thing with being in true community. You're like, wow, I hate these people. Or, wow, this guy really makes me angry. Or, I can't believe she said that. Can you believe all that? Being in community isn't easy. It's difficult. All these things are difficult. But anything that's worth doing is going to be a little bit difficult. And this is how Jesus has made us. And this is how we grow. This is how we can flourish. How we can enjoy life, even when life itself leaves little to be enjoyed. So we relax by allowing ourselves to be held by him. And when we do this, when we surrender to that level of trust, we can get a life of meaning. We can get that kind of good life that people are asking Jesus about. And we briefly touched on the trouble in, that, we, that we might have in believing that God's trustworthy. If we look at our life and be like, man, God, you haven't really done anything for me, have you? Now, we don't even need to look in our individual lives, though there are many things that God's done in our individual lives. We don't even need to look at those things. The only thing we really need to look at is the cross. God's given us all those other things on top of that, but we have been given the cross. The death of Christ means no more space invaders. It's not like he's giving us another option of another game to play. He has unplugged the machine. It has no power anymore. Space Invaders is a game that we made up now. We make up that game. Jesus has pulled the plug. So we're freed from that. You're free from what has enslaved you. And sometimes we don't think we've been enslaved, but if that's what we're focusing and obsessing and only thinking about, we have been enslaved. And then we sometimes we just can't wait to run back to that game over and over again and press play and put more money in and try and plug the machine back in the wall. Jesus' death didn't just kill the aliens. He's unplugged the machine and there's no power anymore. Please don't stoop down to plug that thing back in. This is also why Christ rose again. He's given us a new life, one where we can enjoy him. He's not a duty. I mean, there's gonna be things that we have to do and they'll feel more like duties, but really relaxing in Jesus is not a duty. He's he's not a box to tick. He's a person to know. He's a person to enjoy. And the one who has given us a new life now is the one who will give that new, who will bring that new life to fruition when he makes all things new. And every time we pray, every time we read the word, especially when we get to do that together, not just by ourselves, but in community, we become more attentive to this reality that Jesus has laid out, that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected for, and is now ascended into heaven being Lord over all creation. 
And so right now, right now, Jesus is putting to death your worldly anxiety. He's putting to death your control that is bringing you to that anxiety. And in that emptiness that is found there, he's filling that up with his love, filling it up with all of his goodness, filling it up with the joy that only can come from him and his power. Do you want to join Jesus on that mission? That just sounds like something I want more of my life to be about. And before we think of a spiritual battle like somewhere out there or Manchester or Charlton, think of the war that Jesus has already won. For all those who follow Jesus, he's already won the war over you, over your heart, and he's given himself for that. And because of that, we have faith that he has won the war over everything, over us, over Redeemer, over Charlton, over Manchester, over the globe. So let's join him in this new year, not by going back to anxiety and worry, and we'll have many options for that, I'm sure, but by relaxing into him come what may. And this will transform our entire lives, not just small parts of it, but our entire lives, all our relationships, our families, our work environments, our city, every person, every system, all the things that we love and we love to see flourish, this is how we get to see that happen in Manchester as in heaven. Let me pray.